Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I will totally punch my own mother in the face as well, Joe Gentile. And I like Frosty the Snowman. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. This is the class of 2008. Holy shit, we're almost done with this decade. Just about. Almost finished with season four already. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little crazy because, you know, we... Uh, a lot of effort goes into these, and uh, even though you guys get the episodes weekly in order, you know, we still, you know, take some time to record this, so the fact that we're already recording 2008 just means that it's going to get to you guys faster, which means we have to get back on our wagon of watching films and get ready for season five, and I'm ready. Oh, yeah. Season five being our the current season. This is, uh, we're, we're technically still in it. Well, actually, the Oscars will have happened by the time this goes out. But at the time of this recording, season five has not concluded yet in real time. It has not. Um, You know what did happen, though, in real time for us today? Our Patreon launched. Oh, right. It launched, and we uh, we got a nice uh, group of people already with us. So um, I'm excited to see what happens here. And uh, the feedback on our new intro has been really great. So... Obviously, you guys all have heard it at least eight times by now. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but we have a very, I know we always say we have a very special guest today, but today is a very, very special guest. Um, Brandon, when, when you hear, I'm your number one fan, who's the first person you think about? Well, for most people, it would probably be Kathy Bates in Misery. But for me, and probably you as well, it's our dear friend, Nicole. It is. We have an awesome contest every week that really gets people amped for each episode. And it's guests who Brandon and I both pick. And it can be a little tricky, especially, no, it can be a lot of tricky. The amount of like uh, combinations that could happen. And if I tie or you pull a tie or we have a guest, finally, after three seasons, she did it. She nailed the class of 1996 perfect and was the first person to do so. And therefore, without further ado, everybody welcome uh, honorary Academy Queen, Nicole. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. Yeah, I'm excited. I finally did it. (laughs) It was so Only took like 20 tries. I was in Vegas, or I was flying to Vegas when you had done it. And I literally texted Brandon like, holy shit, she did it. Well, we had always like been texting back and forth since we started the contest, and we always knew that you were going to be the one for some reason. Joey and I like legit both had this feeling that it was going to be you, and so when you finally nailed it and beat everyone else to it, it's it seemed like destiny to us. We just knew. I was so pumped. I I I stayed up all night, and I was I was like waiting for like you to post that episode because I was like I I think I did it. I had I had a feeling, and and it it turned out in my favor, <laughs> thank God. Because I I probably would have had a breakdown if I didn't get it that week. I tried really hard. 
<laughs> well, it's funny because I remember I literally posted the episode and you instantly texted me like, I won. I'm like, bitch, you didn't even read or listen to the whole thing. No, I didn't. You're right. <laughs> I skipped right to the end and I was like, did I win? And it was like, yes. And then I went back. But that's that's usually what I do is I is I go to the end first because I have to know, like for uh, my soul, if I did it and then I can listen because otherwise I, I'm just distracted. <laughs> Are you one of those people who has to look up the spoilers for movies and TV shows first before they can watch them? Well, no, I'm just super competitive. So when it's like, like, you know, it's on the line, everything, you know, I have to know, I have to know the results, you know, I have to, I have to get there. So that was, yeah, I I basically have to skip to the end with you guys. And then I can listen again, because otherwise I'm just like, all right, I'm not taking everything in as well as I should be. Well, it'll be interesting for this episode because you don't actually have to wait to find out because you're going to find out before everybody else. But um, I already made predictions, just saying. <laughs> which I want to play a little game here. If you don't mind, Nicole, go on the record right now. And by the end of this episode, obviously, this is how, like, Nicole doesn't know anything like everybody else about what we go into. it. I don't even know, Brandon, who he's going to choose. He doesn't know who I choose or who I've chosen. So, Nicole, who did Brandon and I pick to win this year? Go. Okay. Um, well, you, Joey, I think you're going to go Leo, and I think you're going to go Tomei. And okay. then Brandon, I think, is going to be Hathaway. And tell me the supporting lineup again. Adams, Davis, Cruz, Henson, Tomei. Oh, uh, Taraji. Okay. I'll stick with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will see. I'm always curious in um, how you figure this out because I think it's fascinating. Uh, like you just, for some reason, are in my mind when you have guessed before. Um, but you're going to see if you're close or if you got it on the dot with me this year for sure. Yeah, well, the only one that I'm a little bit like shaky on is um, is Brandon's. I, I'm, I'm shaky with Brandon like every week that I do it and usually when I've gotten it wrong in the past it's with Brandon and I'll get like Joey completely right and then Brandon just no so that's so funny because usually it seems like online everyone else thinks that Joey's the one who's impossible to predict so it's so funny that you that you have a system for Joey (laughs) he really does well it's 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 a little easy I I found like I've already done like my guesses like throughout the 2000s and I found that like Joey is a lot easier because I can predict who he's not going to like and then like cross from there. So, oh, that makes sense. So, and then you're coming away all those secrets. And the 2000s is like especially easy because it's a lot of people who are still in play today. So, if I, if you just kind of think about who he likes and who he doesn't, I think I've kind of got a handle on the 2000s, but we'll see. (laughs) Well, I will say this. So, Nicole and I, and actually, I think we all have your phone number. Um, Mm -hmm. but Nicole and I text back and forth and I don't ever tell her, you know, again, going into this, but I was curious and I said, okay, if you have me pegged down so well, let me know when you have season five, send me your answers or season five. And I texted back. I said, holy shit with an exclamation point. And that's all I'm going to say. And that's all I told her. (laughs) And that's all I'm going to say for you. It is all he said, which drove me crazy, but (laughs) (laughs) So it's fascinating. But before we dive in, a couple of things. Number one, 
Um, here's some interesting trivia about this uh, ceremony. I'm going to start with this one because it's so mind-blowing. Um, the father of one of Slumdog's youngest stars, Rubina Ali, reportedly attempted to sell her for $300,000. He claimed that he only received $3,000 for her work on the film, and she was worth far more on the open market. God. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my shit. God. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I didn't expect you to go there. Yeah, we went dark. Yeah, um, wow. <laughs> Well, some the of these one, films are a little dark, so we're getting we're getting ready. Yes, and here's another little dark fact, but it kind of is light near the end. Um, obviously, we all know Heath Ledger is the first posthumous Oscar winner for Best Supporting Actor. Um, his daughter Matilda will be the statue's recipient when she reaches the age of 18, but until then, remains in the custody of the Ledger family in their Australian home. So as sad as that is, Matilda will be able to have it when she is an adult. Aw. That's nice. Yeah. It is, it is. Um, but yeah, you guys ready? Yeah. Do this, take us away. All right. Your Best Supporting Actress nominees in 2008 were? In rare instances, an actress makes such an impression in only a few brief scenes that the energy of her work carries her all the way to a seat at the Kodak Theater on Oscar night. Well, that is what you did, Viola Davis. In the film Doubt, we all watch not just a stunning talent command every moment she's on screen, but an unforgettable portrayal of the veracity of a mother's love for her child. And you left us wanting only more. Viola Davis, congratulations. When Penelope Cruz first blazes on screen in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, she lets forth a dizzying combination of Spanish and English. And even if we don't understand every word she's saying literally, emotionally, we understand absolutely everything. Uniting the wild and the winning, Penelope, you show us that beneath your beauty lies the soul of a true comedian. Felicitaciones, Penelope. It's not easy being a nun. <laughs> Take it from one who's been there and back. First of all, your face never looks thin. You never get to wear pants, and your love interest is always off screen. But in spite of this, Amy Adams showed us how a woman, very new to the veil, could summon up the courage she didn't know she had and place herself in the middle of a deeply troubling moral mystery. She was compelling and moving without a doubt. Bless you, Amy. There's a moment in Benjamin Button when after traveling the world, Brad Pitt comes home to see his mother. And we realize that we've missed her as much as he has. And that is a true testament to a really beautiful performance. Taraji P. Henson, 
You reminded us that love is unconditional, timeless, and ageless, and a really very special gift to be treasured. And so are you. Thank you. Congratulations. this year for her compassionate and open-hearted performance in The Wrestler, in which she reminds us not only of the effortless physical expertise of a real working girl and the courage, the selflessness required of a dedicated working mother, and the sheer honest fact that a stripper need never take off her dignity with her clothes. We honor you, Marisa Tomei. All right, let's start off with our winner for the year. This is Penelope Cruz winning for Vicky Cristina Barcelona. This is her second of three nominations and so far her only win. Going into this, she wins uh, with BAFTA at the Goyas, uh, the Indie Spirit Awards, the National Board of Review, the LA Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics. And she's recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. So she was uh, pretty much a, a front runner for this win. Um, in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Penelope Cruz plays Maria Elena, the volatile and stormy ex of Juan Antonio, played by Javier Bardem. So, Nicole, as our guest, what are your feelings on Penelope Cruz in Vicky Cristina Barcelona? Well, when I got 2008, I didn't know that that meant I had to watch a Woody Allen film. So, thanks, because um, I didn't <laughs> want to do that. That was like the one that I just... Uh, I, I waited till the last minute to watch that, literally, like, last night. Um, and uh, the movie sucks, but she's the best part of it. She's, you know, she's like dynamite when everybody else is um, a little bit subdued. And so it's, it's, I guess I can see why she's the one who got the nomination and I don't know. It's 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 hard to it's hard to talk about a performance in a movie when the movie's that bad. But I like Penelope Cruz a lot, and I can't remember the last time I've seen her in anything. So it was like good to see her again. Well, going off of that comment, it's weird to talk about a movie or a person when the movie's bad. Welcome to Academy Queens. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, I will echo the statement of, of the movie being bad. Um, you know, it's, it's no secret by now my um, dislike of Woody Allen films. But I found myself enjoying this performance way more than I remembered it originally. Um, you know, there was a great moment when the uh, presenters for this category, which we'll, we actually have a question on in a little bit, um, and Angelica Houston was one of the five presenters for Supporting Actors, and I remember her saying when uh, Penelope Cruz blazes on the screen in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, she leaves forth a dizzying, um, a, a dizzying tenderness or something like that of English and Spanish. And even though you can't understand her every word, you understand what she's going through. And I think that's a really good testament to a bilingual actor who has a bilingual performance and really has to cater to both sides. Um, I think her acting in general really met in the middle. So people who didn't know Spanish still understood what was going on and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's 
beautiful, actually. Um, bravo. Bravo to Cruz on this one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. The movie itself is fairly mediocre. Um, revisiting this movie, I was surprised by how boring it was. I hadn't seen it since uh, Cruz was up for the Oscar. And I didn't, I didn't remember it being quite that bland. And revisiting it, it was um, a rude awakening. But Cruz is, by and large, the best thing about this movie. It takes almost an entire hour for her to even appear, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, she doesn't come in until like the last 30 or 40 minutes. And when she does, it is such a relief. Because she mm -hmm. is such a thunderstorm in this film. And going off of what you guys were saying, uh, Penelope Cruz would have been a fantastic silent film actress. Not due to like a language barrier, but because she is so expressive. And she is so in tune with how to make the audience feel what she's feeling. And that's something that all the best silent film actors were able to do. And Penelope Cruz does weave in language beautifully in this and she creates such a fiery character in maria elena and i'm gonna say that thing that we say all the time i want maria, maria elena to have her own film because frankly i don't care about these other characters she's the most interesting one and i want to see her adventures because penelope cruz deserves it yeah she basically wakes the movie up and it becomes less insufferable when she's in it because it's it's much more just pretentious garbage before her stuff comes in and then it's it's a bit more watchable because like I'm not gonna I don't really care to watch Scarlett Johansson take pictures of sex workers on the street and I was just over it uh but then she comes in and, and she's enormously watchable and she's and she's got a spark to her where you just are captivated by her and it's like that's a star yep and I was I, I was agree. into it I definitely agree on that one Joey, do you have anything else to add to Cruz? No, but I will say, Nicole, you're fitting right in, so uh, I'm really <laughs> digging this. <laughs> Good for you. All right, next we have Amy Adams, nominated for Doubt. This is her second of six nominations. Going into this, she does not win anything major on her own, but she is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Doubt, Amy Adams plays Sister James, a young nun who teaches at a Catholic school and suspects that one of her students might be in a dubious situation with the priest. So, Joey, how do you feel about Amy Adams in Doubt? Um, yeah, I think this is the weakest point of Doubt, is Amy Adams. Um she's uh she, her character's annoying as fuck uh i it, it i her, her whole demeanor is this really meek rabbit um when she tries to be big bad amy adams in this she's it's quite hilarious actually um i don't understand the voice that she chose for this character it almost felt like she sucked in helium before each take um, this is, uh, I'd say this is actually probably Amy Adams' weakest nomination. Mm, mm, maybe her second weakest. I'll actually hold that one for a future episode. But, um, yeah, this one's not, not good. I'm not digging anything she's putting down. And it's one of those roles that easily could have been, been cast with someone else and they would, probably would have did a lot better job. 
Uh, Nicole, what about you? Um, I actually didn't mind it that much. Um, to me, it was it was actually one of the better ones in the category. I actually liked the weird voice that she was doing, and I found it just a nice compliment to what Streep was doing, and I understood her choices. Um, I wasn't bothered by it at all. That that comes to another performance in doubt. Um, but for her, I I liked her a lot, and I I found her interesting, and I understood her, and I understood her motivations and why she acted the way that she did, uh, especially like post, I guess, the first big Philip Seymour. Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, confrontation. I guess I I got her. So I, I didn't mind it. <laughs> I, and I thought that, and I think that it's a good nomination. Like, not really the win, but like, I get it for a nomination. I like it. Yeah, I know this is a, an Amy Adams role that she receives a lot of crap for, but um, I honestly don't feel quite that way about it either. Um, kind of like Nicole. I think some of her characterizations are a little strange, um, especially in hindsight, knowing the Amy Adams that we would go on to see later on. Um, I think she was still sort of in this character actor stage of her career from like the early to mid 2000s. Um, so I can kind of see the characterization that she's, she's doing here with her voice and this sort of uh, mousy little thing that she's uh, playing. But like Nicole was saying, I think juxtaposed with Meryl Streep, it kind of makes sense. Um, I've never read the play or seen it perform, so I don't know how much of this is um, pre-written or um, how much of this character is um, designed to be that way, and Amy Adams is simply embodying it, or if it was um, Amy Adams creating these choices. But I also don't really mind it in the whole scheme of this film. Um, I can understand why some people find it um, annoying and uh, the weakest of her nominations, but um, I'm honestly okay with it. I like the grappling with the truth and the possible truths um, that this character faces throughout the film. Um, her um, hunting for what's really going on and the guilt that she feels um, when she feels as though she may have ousted this person um, under false pretenses and I think her final scene with Meryl Streep in the um, little park area is really moving to me for some reason. This is a film that I just really admire. Um, I'm not sure why. It's just a, a movie I've always been kind of fascinated by ever since it came out and all the times I've watched it since. So I'm okay with Amy Adams in this movie. Um, it's not my favorite of hers, but I don't consider it my least favorite either. See, definitely different uh, ways to take this one. Because she does, she does get a lot of shit for this one. Oh yeah, and I got, yeah, and I, I don't agree. It. Yeah. So there you have it. You have it from both sides. Anything else on Amy Adams? Um, oh, Doubt yeah. is one of the better movies. I'll say that of the films nominated here. Oh, great. sure. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of Doubt. Um, so. I guess we'll just transition into our other supporting nominee, and that's Viola Davis. Um, this is her first of three nominations. And going into this, she receives a handful of critics awards and the Black Reel Award and a National Board of Review recognition for breakthrough performance. 
And she's also nominated with the Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, LA Film Critics, uh, New York Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Doubt, Viola Davis plays Mrs. Miller, the mother of the child who just might be in that dubious relationship with the priest, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, so, Nicole, how do you feel about Viola Davis in Doubt? Um, what the fuck? This was, I, I don't I don't understand this one at all. It made me angry because it's one scene, basically. Two, I'll give her, she has two scenes. And if you're going to get an Oscar nomination for two scenes, it better be just upper echelon, like top of the top. And I don't think this is it. Um, she's fine in it. It's not like she's bad. She's fine. It's just... An Oscar nomination for that? I, I really don't understand it at all. She's not doing enough to sort of warrant that, in my opinion. Uh, and I don't get it at all. The only thing that bugs me is, and Viola Davis does this a lot, even in films of hers that I really like, is that whenever she cries, her nose <laughs> is running. <laughs> and it, it's so distracting because it's just like, why didn't someone cut and start again and wipe her nose? And I, I can't like not focus on it. And then it, it, because it happens so much, it's like you just it's like you zero in on it. And it's like, why? Why? And, and it's in it's in almost everything that she does, except for, I think, Widows, which, you know, that deserved better. But um, I don't think she, I don't think she really cries in that one. If I remember, it's been about two years since I've seen it. But even in things of hers, I like, like the help. It just, yeah, no, I, it's super distracting. And if for that reason only, um, it knocks it down quite a bit for me. I am, okay, so you just heard me laugh a little bit. I am so excited you share that because... Was I about to take us on the tour a la Booger House Express? <laughs> that is Viola fucking Davis with her first of these three Booger House Express nominations that she has. This woman has such a shtick that I swear she's conned people into thinking what uh, like brilliant acting is. And it blows my mind because Viola Davis is not it. Um, she's good in things. Yes. But if she actually ever has to act, it's always this crying booger mess that mm -hmm. is a hot-ass mess. So the fact that you brought it up before it got to me, like, just made me real, real excited. Because now I know that I'm not the only one out there who has seen this. It's, in, it's in everything, even in Fences. Yes, everything it's, and it's and it's distracting it's not that it's just gross it's like you can't focus on her performance as much because you're just staring at her nose which yeah. is it's it's sad and, and I don't understand why like why not just cut and then wipe it and then start again because you would be able to just not you would be able to pay attention so much more to the performance and not be like questioning why they didn't cut yeah, and you know, the thing is, like, I could see if, like, the character, if any character needed that, but the thing with Davis, and this is why it's a shtick at this point, because every character she plays, she makes that choice, and mm -hmm. it therefore makes Viola Davis 
the actor cloudy from her characters and now i can't see a character of her i'm just like oh look it's viola davis like she's mm-hmm. not an actor that i ever believe she's playing somebody it's just her being her and this is this started it for me um you know i used to be very very pro davis as a winner in this category and you know you you'll see where i rank her but um over the years and getting to know viola's career this is um this is a choice. This is definitely a choice. Brandon, what about you? So, uh, Violet Davis in Doubt is one of the things that strikes me the hardest whenever I rewatch this movie. Um, I like that she only has like two and a half scenes in this movie. Um, I wish we got more nominated supporting turns like that. Um, reminds me of like the old days. Uh, we don't see very often anymore. I can see why people... Um, in hindsight, would diss on this performance, um, kind of roping it in with other Viola Davis performances and some of her go-to um, tools in her kit. But um, looking looking at it just on its own and isolating it by itself as one performance, because uh, this is before pe- most people really knew who Viola Davis was, um, I think it really works for me in the realm of this film. Um, I find this character so complex and disturbing in a way. Um, Her conversation with Meryl Streep, I believe it is, where Streep tells her what she believes is going on with her son, and Davis goes on this monologue about how she just needs her son to finish out this school year so that he can graduate from this particular school so that he can go on to another school and then have a better chance at life. And knowing what her son might be going through, she's okay with what that is, whatever that might be, because in the long run, it might be better for him. It's a really twisted concept that I think she handles pretty well and pretty subtly in this performance. There's also the other side, um, the other interpretation of this conversation where She's implying that her son might just be, you know, a closeted homosexual and they just need to work past it and get through all of this in order for it's all about her son having a better chance at life and whatever he might be going through. They just need to tough it out because at this time period in this place, he doesn't have very many other chances considering how strapped they are financially. So she embodies this feeling of being socially trapped and trapped within her marriage and as a mother with very few means. And I think she gives a very effective performance with just her handful of minutes that she has here. Um, I can see why looking at her entire body of work from 2020, uh, people might now brush this off more than they might have in 2008, but I think it's still pretty, um, pretty powerful. No, you know, definitely, I can, I can see that. You know, I, I'm, I, um, I think an actor. I've always said, I don't think it's the size of the role; it's what you do with it that counts. And you know, she does something here. Yes, like focusing in on this only and not the rest of her body of work. I just think it's. I'm, I'm having a little hard time judging it now. Like, if we had done this podcast, like, when this had come out, I think, my, again, my reaction would have been a lot different to it. But it, it, it's hard for me to focus on this when we literally see 
her do this performance like this. Then we saw her do the same performance in the help. Then we saw her do the same performance in the fences, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't work for me. And I'm, and I, I know that sucks saying, but I'm having a really hard time with it. Like, yeah. There's something about it. I'm right there with you. And it's, and it's hard because um, especially in the best actress category, like there's a few supporting performances that like could have been in over her and they have, much more screen time and they're doing more with it and that would be like Misty Upham and um Frozen River and Rosemary DeWitt and Rachel Getting Married like the spot could have gone to either one of them and I would have been pretty happy so it's it's just hard because it's it's like two scenes and it's her doing the same shtick yeah it's um it's a little weird for me but we have a uh, we have a question actually from Catherine Short uh, on this. Viola Davis earned a nomination for her performance in just one scene. It's a nominee. Is a nominee helped or hindered in your estimation by appearing in just one scene? And are there other examples of one scene performances that you think were unfairly overlooked in the past? Uh, Brandon, how about you start us on that one? Well, it's sort of a double-edged sword because you know so often when it comes to the supporting players especially when it comes to our rankings we sometimes say we just wanted a little bit more and sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean more screen time it just means a little bit more development of the character like if the director and the screenwriter had taken a little more time to round out the character and give a little bit more help the character have a bigger impression on the film sometimes it might help them when it comes to um our rankings uh, so I can definitely see why sometimes that might work against them. But then there's times where a character might only have one or two scenes and they're masterfully crafted and they leave an impression on you. Beatrice Strait, of course, being the go-to example of that. So it kind of goes both ways. Uh, it really just depends on the movie and the performer. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's just it's just something about this one where it's like it's two scenes and it doesn't feel like enough. And then it, I think it's also just compared to the competition for that year. And just like if I were to like round out like my dream ballot where I'm just like I just I wouldn't even put her in personally because there's like there's other people like the ones I just mentioned where I feel like they're doing more and they're getting more and they're just they're able to. I don't know, spend more time with the character. And sometimes it's not needed. Like, I don't know how much more of Davis in this is really needed, but it's just for an Oscar nomination. I feel like it kind of has to be because two scenes is just, it's, it's just, it's not a lot. I, I could definitely see both sides um, on, from both of you, and I definitely think, again, it is a double-edged sword. I, Beatrice Strait, you know, is the one we definitely go to. A lot of people forget, too, that Hermione, uh, Hermione or Hermione, however you pronounce it, Bradley in 1959 um, was nominated for supporting at, for A Room at the Top for having, like, two minutes and 15 seconds of screen time. She really only has, like, one background scene and then a scene in a half, like, a, a half a scene where she actually has some dialogue. Um, and if we ever get to there, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I would say like she earned that from what she had to do because she took what she did and was still able to make an impression on you. And, and like, like for me, that kind of goes back to, um, you know, no matter what the size you have to play it the best way you can do. 
Um, to answer the question, uh, the second part though, and is, is if there's anyone who I can think of recently who could have pulled something like this, I would argue Caitlin Olson in the Heat. Um, she played Tatiana. She and it was this hilarious one scene role where she was like this Russian or Ukrainian hooker, and it was hilarious. It's one of my favorite parts in that movie. Um, that's one. But uh, yeah, that was uh, the question by Catherine Short on Viola Davis. We will move on to Taraji P. Henson, nominated for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So far, this is her first and only nomination. Um, going into this, she wins a BET Movie Award and an Image Award, and she is nominated with SAG, uh, the Black Reel Awards, the Critics' Choice Awards, and she receives an MTV Movie Award. In Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Taraji P. Henson plays Queenie, the adoptive mother of Brad Pitt's Benjamin Button. So, Joey, how do you feel about Taraji P. Henson in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? I really like her in this. I avoided this movie for years, only based on the, the, the fact that I remember my parents went to go see it, and they came back from it when this movie was in theaters, and they were like, that was just awful. Like, it was so boring. And for some reason, remembering them saying that this movie was so boring, I completely avoided it for almost probably almost 10 years. It's like I recently saw it for the first time in the last few years. Um, they were wrong, in my opinion. I think the movie is very entertaining. I think the, the, the movie is a beautiful fairy tale. And a lot of it really does come from Taraji. Um, again, to hark back to the presenter's moment, there's Goldie Hawn introduced Taraji's character on stage and she, she said, there's a part in Benjamin Button when he returns home and you realize you've missed his mother just as much as he has. And that was beautiful. And that always stuck with me even before seeing this. So when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, I get it. Here's this woman who was living in a time where women and black women and people of color in general were horribly fucking treated even worse um than today and she had so much love for this baby that no one wanted why because she understood what it was like to not be wanted based on how you look and i think that is beautiful it's 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 really great and i think what taraji does here for how short this performance is is she made us want more of her and i think what we got of her was plenty and I don't think I've ever said that for, for, for an actor so far in this podcast. We got just enough from her, even though we wanted more. So kudos to Taraji. Yeah, I think that's pretty much perfectly said. I, when I was going through the list and I was looking at the nominees here, um, Benjamin Button, I saw it the most, I guess, recent before I started watching the 2008 films for like this podcast. So I would seen it about maybe, I don't know, three months ago, something like that. And I remember that when I was watching it, she was the one that stuck out the most and you want to see her even when she's not on screen and you miss her. And it's, it's literally everything Joey said is perfect. That's exactly it. The only thing that I would add is that since then, I kind of forgot a lot of her like it, it just kind of fades a bit from memory and it, it doesn't really stick out a lot of what she did just post that it, I kind of it kind of gets lost for me um a little bit just in hindsight um 
where it doesn't feel as memorable as some of the other ones. So I kind of have to weigh both of those because I do remember watching it just how taken I was with her. But I also remember after just it kind of faded from memory pretty quickly. So and and that just might be a me thing. I'm not saying that that's like a, you know, her performance or anything like that. But when I'm thinking about, you know, eventually ranking her and stuff like that, the fact that she slipped from my mind so fast does come up a bit. So. Yeah, the curious case of Benjamin Button is a movie that I enjoy quite a bit. Um, I remember being really fond of it back in its time. I think on the night of the Oscars, it might have even been like my personal pick for Best Picture at the time. Um, my opinions, you know, always changing. So I don't know if it would still be that way if I revisited all these Best Pictures, but I remember really liking it in its time. Um, Taraji P. Henson, like you guys said, is just a beacon of warmth and positivity and hope in this very dire setting. Um, she is delightful and brilliant in this film. Um, this is a really great star-making turn um, from Taraji. Uh, it's too bad, uh, for the most part, the industry just hasn't been giving her the opportunities that she deserves, because she is really wonderful in this film, and um, watching her other works that she would go on to do like empire and the rest she has such range and versatility um as a performer and you see it a little bit in this film and it's too bad that um hollywood's not interested in making movies for um actors like her it's a bit of a disappointment but she is pretty great um in this film and in everything else she does yeah, Taraji is a star. Like, she is, she should be, like, one of the biggest stars in the world just based on how much, like, power she has and how much just you're gravitated towards her and just her watchability. She's up there. And, yeah, she doesn't get the parts that she deserves. It's sad. But she should be much bigger of a deal than she is currently. Even though she's a pretty big deal, she should be, like, bigger. I agree. Yeah, I'm going to cap my thoughts out three three bullet points here. Number one, I remember a couple years ago when Empire started, there was an interview that she had done, and I wish I could find it, but she had mentioned after getting this Oscar nominations, she had no offers from Hollywood. Usually when you're uh, nominated or you win, you get a bunch of offers for projects. She said not one script was sent to her after her nomination. So Hollywood, you fucked up there. Number two, we should not be talking about sole Oscar nominee Taraji P. Henson. Um, I think the Academy really, really fucked up not giving her a lead actress nomination for Hidden Figures back in 2016. Yeah. That coffee pot scene alone would have probably secured that for me with her. Um, and number three, you're absolutely right, both of you. She needs to be bigger, and I hate the fact that and I'll just, I'll just say it. I think she should be where Viola Davis is at right now. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, there is zero reason in my mind that Viola Davis should be as big as she is when Taraji's right there. If I, And I hate to do that, but we are talking about her in the supporting lineup here together. And I think it's just a little bit BS that uh, Henson is so widely forgotten when she's a way better actress than Davis. But that's just me. I think they should both be big. Yeah, there you go. That's it. 
So uh, next we have Marissa Tomei nominated for The Wrestler. This is her third of three nominations so far. And going into this, she wins a handful of smaller critics awards, but nothing major. And she is recognized with uh, the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice, but unfortunately does not win those. Um, in The Wrestler, Marissa Tomei plays Cassidy, the stripper for whom the Mickey Rourke uh, character, Randy the Ram, develops feelings for, and she slowly develops feelings in return. So, uh, Nicole, how do you feel about Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler? I loved her in this. I loved the movie. All of it is just wonderful for me. Um, Penelope Cruz, I said that she was the best part in a bad movie, and Marissa Tomei is the best part in a great movie, and that's endlessly harder to do. Uh, because everything else surrounding her is really good. But when she's on screen, it's just everything between her and Mickey Rourke is just like dynamite. It's just, it's perfect. And it's so captivating. She's wonderful. Um, I love everything that she does. I think that she's perfect. I mean, she reminds me a lot of like, if this were made today, she would basically be the uh, Jennifer Lopez character in Hustlers. Um, but I don't need as much from I'm saying like in Hustlers you get more but I don't need more from what Marissa Tomei did here I like how I like how she has a bit less to do um because she's perfect and it's not overly done and I love Hustlers I love it a lot and that's perfect for, for that but like I don't need more from her everything that she does is perfect yeah um i think what she's doing here is really really good um i like you know i always make the comments on i love a good performance that makes me forget that i'm watching a performance because what tomei does here with cassidy is she just makes her feel so real like i could pass her in the in a street or meet her at the bar and have a beer with her and I think that goes just to the sheer brilliance of Tomei as an actress. Um, yeah, she's got an Oscar win, but um, I feel like Tomei is one of those actresses too that just doesn't get her due, even though she's proven herself time and time and again. And um, I, yeah, I just think what she's doing here is 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 great. I think for me, The Wrestler, is, I don't love it as a film. Um, and, I, and I do think that it, it's core comes from its ladies of uh, Evan Rachel Wood's performance and Marissa Tomei's uh, performance. Um, both of them are heartbreaking in their own virtue and way. Um, but yeah, Tomei continues to not disappoint for me. And uh, I'm a huge fan of this one. So kudos to Tomei. Yeah, I don't know if I can think of another modern actor with three nominations under their belt and a win who is just as disregarded by this industry as Marissa Tomei is. I mean, like Joey said, she has proven herself over and over again with these nominations and in the indie world and now in the blockbuster world in the Marvel franchise. And yet somehow she is always brushed under the rug and I don't understand it because in The Wrestler, she gives such a naturalistic, nuanced performance that it's ridiculous. I think Cassidy in The Wrestler, of these five supporting nominations, might be the most realistic, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe that she is the closest thing to being a real person than these other characters are, if that makes any sense. Um, 
I think Marissa Tomei is fantastic. Um, like Nicole was saying, I don't need any more of her in this. Uh, and that's not to say that I don't want more of her. It's that she does everything she needs to with this film in every scene that she's in. And she sells it and makes it work. And she earned this nomination, in my opinion. Um, this is a movie that I do really like. Um, I think this is one of Aronofsky's forgotten gems. It doesn't get mentioned quite as often as some of his others. Um, when I watched it back in its day, it really struck me in a very strange way that I wasn't accustomed to at the time. And I had not revisited the movie in over 10 years um, until I watched it again for this because I didn't know if it would have the same effect and I didn't want it to lose that effect. And it totally did, uh, once again. Um, it, I had a very chilled feeling when the movie was over in a very similar way to when I watched The Rose for the first time. It's, I don't know what it is, but oh, wow. there's something about the, those two endings um, that just really worked for me. And um, I'm not sure what it is, but Marissa Tomei is part of the overall um, machine that is The Wrestler and why it works. Um, so yeah, I think she's fantastic in this. And I think this is a very deserved nomination. And um, I think it's too bad that we haven't gotten a nomination for her in what, 12 years now. That's insane. I was actually just gonna comment on that. I was like, you know, if we're going by the Oscar history of Marissa Tomei's nominations, we should expect her to be a nominee here in the next year or so. Cause uh, you know, it was like 10 years in between the first one and then eight years mm -hmm. in between the second and third. So that's true. You know, any moment now, give us give us another Tomei nom. Let's get her in lead next time. That'd be fun. Yes. Not that there's, you know, uh, a hierarchy when it comes to lead and supporting, but it'd be fun to just change it up and give her a lead nomination for her fourth one. Agreed. I have a question, though. So, um... So basically, Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers, she didn't get the nomination. And that mainly is like a racist thing. It has to do with racism and all that. But it also has to do with, I'm guessing, sexism and the fact that she played a stripper and is not able to be taken seriously because of that. And people brushed it off and didn't want to see it for that reason. Do you think that that kept Tomei from a win here? That she was playing a stripper and it's harder to take it seriously and that a bunch of the old white bros that are in the academy basically brushed her off let me let me do this really quick because there's actually a very similar question that you're asking that we got on twitter so i'm just gonna combine the two if that's okay mm -hmm. um this also came from Catherine short and it said many of the female nominees this year appeared in highly sexualized sexualized roles cruz tomei and winslet do you think this will, was a case of sexual politics having evolved from the relatively straight-laced 1960s or women being objectified? Um, Brandon, do you want to start with that one or you want me to? Um, it's a very interesting concept. I mean, of course, with Hustlers, um, we've got a, a female film, uh, be, meaning the majority of the cast is women, um, female director, um, of course, you know, there's probably a, a race factor going into Jennifer Lopez, but um, here, yeah. And um, with The Wrestler, though, we have a movie starring a man from a male director who is established at this point. Um, 
So I think there's a few things working for and against um, the wrestler and hustlers. Um, Tomei getting the nomination, um, I'm sure probably had something to do with um, Aronofsky being a man and the the protagonist of the story being a man. Um, not to say that she's not, you know, a great performer on her own, but I'm sure those are factors that went into her getting a nomination um, in the way that um, Jennifer Lopez did not, because you can't say those things about that film. Um, when it comes to the way people see stripper characters, um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some people who look down on those characters just as they would look down upon those people if they encountered them in real life. I'm sure that's a very real thing. Um, something Aronofsky did that I think is probably pretty wise is um, he has a female cinematographer here with the wrestler. Uh, Matthew Libatique was not his cinematographer for this film, unlike many of his others. And I think she, I would not be surprised if um, Maurice Alberti was able to sort of subvert any sort of male gaze that Aronofsky and Libatique might have unintentionally put into the way the Tomei character is depicted, while also playing into it a little bit because she is supposed to be um, the romantic interest, quote unquote, to the Rourke character. So, um, yeah, it's a very tricky um, duality between these two films and performances and the way one was successful and the other wasn't. I just kind of rambled on there for a while about a lot of things. <laughs> You're fine. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting, you know, if you go back to, if you do like a quick think about the women who have won or who have been nominated for roles, it's really only three roles. Nuns, prostitutes, and the help slash slaves, right? Those mm -hmm. seem to be the three categories that really get noticed by the Academy. So I just, I... I'm a little, I'm pondered a little bit why looking down on a stripper is the thing that they want to do, but are like, you know, there's so many prostitute roles that have been put up for nominations. So I don't know how to answer this because I'm just as confused at the possibilities of why one could be and one could not be. So I don't know. I, I don't know. What about Something. You? Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to add on to what you were saying. Um, then we'll, of course, get to Nicole. Um, something else that crossed my mind is at this point, Tomei was a two-time nominee. So she was um, established in Academy voters' minds in some capacity. I'm sure there's a lot of people who still don't take Jennifer Lopez seriously as an actress. I think to a lot of people, she's just this um, romantic comedy star who is also a pop star and uh, she walks runways sometimes. I feel like that's how some people just view her. And they don't view her as the fully fleshed powerhouse actress that she can be when the material is clearly there. So I think Jennifer Lopez has a lot of things that need to be overcome in order for her to be taken seriously. She shouldn't have to be the one to do it. Other people should just be able to see what she's doing and accept it. But unfortunately, she's not in quite the um, same position. So um, I think that uh, with, so when you're, when you're just comparing like the two, Jennifer Lopez to Marissa Tomei, I mean, Jennifer Lopez didn't even get the nomination while Marissa Tomei did, and she's a white woman. So I think, I mean, there's obviously something there. 
Um, but I think you also have to take into consideration the fact that um, the wrestler was a sort of like across the board contender. I think it was a best picture nominee, correct? Is that correct? Uh, I'm looking right now. It was not. It was not. Okay. Well, it was still, it was nominated elsewhere. Whereas STX basic, I think it was XTX who did Hustlers, basically pushed um, Hustlers in one category and one category only. And that was in supporting actress. And that never usually fares well. Um, if they're just, you know, pushing in one category versus like, hey, look at our movie as a whole. Um, and so I think that has something to do with it. But yeah, the fact that Tomei got in while Jennifer Lopez didn't, that's the hard one, especially when you consider the fact that it's a more diverse category now, or not category, but um, diverse uh, voting body now than it was in 2008. And still they didn't pick her when she should have 100% been in there. So I don't really know what the answer is as far as a fix, but yeah, race definitely had something to do with it. But for Tomei, I think that the sexism of it all is definitely what kept her from a win because she's just wonderful here. And the fact that she's didn't really let like Cruz was kind of like the, one just picking up the wins um, on the way to the Oscars is a little bit baffling to me because Tomei is wonderful um, in this as well. And they both deserved more than they got. Agree on that last sentiment. I forgot to really quickly um, from Andrew Carden for uh, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. We had a question. Kate Blanchett, yay or nay for a nomination? Personally, I say nay. I'm okay with her not getting a nomination for that. Um, I guess I wouldn't have been mad if she had been nominated, but I'm I'm okay with that um, snub, if you want to even call it that, because I just don't consider Benjamin Button to be one of her best outings, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, I always forget that she's in it, and then someone reminds me, I'm like, oh yeah, and then everything kind of comes flooding back with her. Um, but yeah, probably not. There's other performances I would have liked to see more. Agreed. Alrighty. Well, moving on to leads. Um, your lead actresses of 2008 were... Anne Hathaway. We loved you as a princess. We loved you in Prada. And this year, in Rachel Getting Married, you fearlessly stepped into the shoes of someone struggling with addiction and grief. I think you're an amazing example for every young actress in this business because you're not afraid, you're not afraid to show both your dark and your bright side. This is your first nomination. I have a feeling there will be many more after this. And by the way, I think you have an extraordinary voice. So keep singing too. With each new role, you continue to push the boundaries of what's possible. Your brilliant performance in The Reader encompasses all the qualities that have always drawn us to you. Passion, vulnerability, 
an extraordinary depth as your character move through time, love, and the most dire of circumstances, we, as your audience, Kate, never lose a connection to you. This is yet another unforgettable portrait from one of our most gifted actresses and one of our most inspiring. Thank you. make a small independent film that then found its way to global recognition right here on this stage at the Oscars. How wonderful it is to see it happen again this year for Melissa Leo. In Frozen River, you played a woman who's lost everything, yet in the truest American sense, still holds hope for a better day. Your authentic portrayal not only brought a stark focus to those who are too often left out, but it showed you, Melissa Leo, as one far too exceptional to be ignored. Congratulations. It's hard to know where to begin with, with the next nominee. Her name itself has come to represent a whole world of unmatched excellence, so it's probably best to simply start there. Meryl Streep. In doubt, you gave us another of your singular creations, a strict Catholic nun. But you let us sense her struggle, holding on to her moral beliefs, while feeling the tide of time moving ever against her. For this record, uh, you have had 15 nominations. Astonishing, astonishing Meryl Streep. A young mother in 1928 loses her only son and is forced to take part in a cover-up by the police force investigating his disappearance. Such was the lot for a woman of that time. That this role is played so authentically is due to the very modern gifts of Angelina Jolie. In changeling, your search for justice and for the truth, led with heartbreaking anguish and steadfast determination, reminded us all of the enduring power of a mother's love. As one who would not let her son be forgotten, Angelina Jolie you were unforgettable. All right, starting us off with this category is the one and only Meryl Streep as Sister Aloysius, Bo I never pronounced this right, Sister Aloysius Bouvier, 
This is her 15th of 21 nominations uh, going into this. She kind of was a threat. Uh, Golden Globe and BAFTA nominations for lead actress, but it, she wins in a tie at the Critics' Choice Awards to Anne Hathaway, and she wins SAG for Best Actress. Um, again, Meryl plays Sister Aloysius in Doubt. Uh, she is the head bitch in charge who uh, really tries to dig deep into the possible allegations of child molestation in her church. And uh, Nicole, you're our guest, so start us off in this category as well. She is marvelous in this. Like, I didn't expect to love her as much as I did in this, but every single line delivery that she has is perfect. From when Amy Adams uh, is basically won over by Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, explanation and Meryl Streep just basically brushes her off and is like, nah, I'm going to take him down. Perfect to when she's uh, going head to head with Philip Seymour Hoffman at like the very end, and they're just it's just a masterclass in acting between those two. She's perfect all the way through. There's really nothing that I can complain about. It's one of the best Meryl Streep performances, definitely of the 2000s, but um, it's one of my favorites just overall. I loved it. Yeah, so this is uh, this is also one of my favorite Meryl Streep performances, actually. For some reason, I feel like this is one that people don't love quite so much. But I've always been really fascinated by this performance. Um, I think this is such a calculated and cunning and actually really fun performance from Meryl. Even if uh, Sister Aloysius does not seem like a fun character, it seems like a role that Meryl Streep had a lot of enjoyment biting into um she is such a cat in this cat and mouse game with her and um philip seymour hoffman's character and i find this performance and the way meryl plays it just so endlessly fascinating i so badly want to see this on stage and see how another actress might have done it i think cherry jones played it on Broadway before the film, and that would have been amazing uh, to see what she would have done. But uh, this is such an unusual performance for Meryl in this time period, I guess, because it seems so, I don't know, I, I feel like some people might find it mechanical, the way that it's, how the way she constructs this character and the way it plays out. Um, she plays it very cold in a way that um, I think might read to some people as a bit robotic, but I think that's the nature of this character and the the um, the air that she has to put about in this environment where she has to be this sort of head bitch in charge in this very patriarchal, um, pious um, atmosphere. Uh, but I really find this performance just so fun to watch every time I revisit this movie. And it's hard to not root for her even if um, what's going on is a little bit ambiguous um, at times. But yeah, I think this is a really fun outing for Meryl. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, this performance is one of Meryl's best. Um, I, I, it's, it's so interesting because I was also going to bring up Cherry Jones. I think Cherry won the Tony Award for this too. Um, and I know when it came to the casting of the movie, I think it was like between Meryl Sigourney Weaver and um, 
uh, Sissy Spacek. And as much as I love the other two, I think this is one of those roles where it's quote unquote Meryl was born to play because it is just so natural to her to be this person. Um, you know, it's funny. We had Michael Musto on with us um, for the class of 2000 and he made a comment about Ellen Burstyn's uh, New York accent. So I'd be interested to hear, you know, how Meryl's Brooklyn accent, if it's actually legit or not. Um, Cause I think her Brooklyn accent in this is flawless. But then again, I've never been to Brooklyn. I've been in Manhattan. I've never been to Brooklyn, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, this is just a treat. I think, you know, there, I, I always think of that scene where she's arguing with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and she, the way she grabs her crucifix around her neck and it's like she she looks like she could stab him, but at the same time, it's her way to, to deflect and it's her protection. And she's this head bitch in charge throughout the entire thing but even though she does what she quote unquote feels is the best at the end of the movie, she doubts it. She completely almost regrets what is happening. So every, it's just like all this hard exterior cracked and showed the soft side to her. And I think that was super important. And that could have been played really bad because you needed to really root for this character in the end. And then as the viewer, it leaves you also in doubt. So, I mean, I just think this is a great, great turn for her. It's really great when a character can change, when an actor can change your mind about the character throughout the film. Because I feel like when you were first introduced to Sister Aloysius, your first instinct is to not, is to not like her. Because she is this sort of uh, party pooper who um, no one really likes because she... Uh, she takes people's transistor radios away and tells them to sit up straight and, you know, and you're not supposed to dig that. And then she goes on this righteous crusade to um, save this child who might be in a precarious situation with um, a, the priest in charge. And you want her to defeat him and get rid of him. But then in the end, like you were saying, everything kind of comes full circle and she's not really sure if what she did was the best thing. And then you as the viewer are like, Oh shit, maybe I was wrong too. And I think it takes a really special performer to really make you hate, then like, and then question a character all in the span of less than two hours. We have a question from Mika, which I kind of want to save till the end, but I'm actually going to do it now. Meryl won the SAG for Doubt this year. Do you think she was the runner-up in her category? No, I, I I would have to look at, like, who won what where for 2008. Um, but I would guess it was Anne Hathaway was the runner-up. But I don't think that anybody was beating Winslet that year, so. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that Meryl could have been up there. Um the doubt was a pretty well-received film, so I could see how that might carry into her votes. But I agree with Nicole. If it wasn't her, it was probably Hathaway. So I've got some inside tea for this episode um, because we're going to be talking about Frozen River and Misty Upham was an actual friend of mine. Um, so I was actually really excited when you brought her up earlier, um, Nicole. Um, I honestly think anyone could have been the runner-up here except for Jolie. I don't think that Jolie really had the momentum to win this. 
but I honestly think it could have been Hathaway or Leo or Streep. Um, I mean, going off of um, quote unquote the status quo, I think Streep maybe was the best shot because she won SAG. But um, I'll get to why Leo actually had a shot to win this uh, when we get to her. But um, yeah, I think it could have been Streep, Hathaway, or Leo in second place. So speaking though of Kate Winslet and this year's winner, we have Kate Winslet as uh, Hannah Schmitz in. The reader, this is her sixth of seven nominations so far. Um, going into this, she was a bag of winning, winning all over the place, because we're going to talk to the we're going to talk about the infamous category fraud here. Um, Golden Globe win for supporting, BAFTA win for lead, Critics Choice win for supporting, and she won the SAG for supporting. And then what does she do? She wins the Oscar for lead. Um, in the reader again, wins the play Hannah Schmitz who is a woman living in Germany who starts an affair with a young boy. Turns out she worked as a Nazi camp guard. Um, And later on in the film, later on in the movie, um, it's a part of her trial where you learn about her horrific crimes. And turns out the reason she is always being read to is because she can't read or write. So Brandon, what do you think about Kate Winslet as Hannah Schmitz in The Reader? So weird that... um... This bitch is a literal Nazi, and yet her darkest secret is that she needs to go to the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. It's so weird to me (laughs) that illiteracy is somehow more embarrassing to her than the fact that she was a Nazi. Um, Yeah, um, Kate Winslet's fine in a movie that is... um, its morals are questionable. Um, I'm not sure when the movie is over what side I'm supposed to be on, um, whether I'm supposed to be sympathetic toward Hannah or not. My instinct tells me um, no, but then a part of me is like, but this movie kind of wants me to, but why? And so it's a very strange um, feeling when the movie's over. Uh, Kate Winslet plays it Fine. Um, I can't speak to her accent. We'll leave that to our German listeners. But um, I think she does an admirable job with what she has here. Um, I don't really know what else to say without being more weird than I already am. It was a very interesting film to revisit because this was another one I hadn't seen in over 10 years. And strangely enough, I remember liking the book. I read the book before the movie came out. I read it in high school, and for some reason, I remember liking the book, and I think I was okay with the movie back then, but now it's um, it's it's very questionable how I feel about the movie as a whole and Kate Winslet's performance in it. Um, it's fine. I'll leave it at that. I'll just throw it to Nicole for now. Uh, yeah, um, weird is a really good way to describe this one. The movie itself is a boring slog. Like it's, it's just, it it is hard to get through, um, because it is just so dull. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel bad for Kate Winslet one bit throughout this movie. The first half of the movie, it's just because it's very predatory what she's doing to this little boy and at one point I was thinking that she was statutory raping him even though I figured out that uh I guess in Germany the age of consent is 14 and he's 15 so there's that but I was still creeped out by 
the relationship completely and it didn't feel like the movie was creeped out by it. It felt like the movie was more or less wanting you to sympathize with it and to understand it or even just root for it in a weird way. Uh, The movie also has a lot of, it, it likes to sexualize Kate Winslet in a way that I kind of felt weird. It has a lot of bath kinks to it to where they just, they put her at any point possible in a body of water to where you can see through her shirt or she's naked and it's just it's it's odd and it felt creepy as hell but knowing that you know this is a Weinstein thing not surprised um yeah and the way that Kate Winslet plays it she plays it very aloof um and I don't really sympathize with her at any point because she just plays it so detached. And part of that is because it's from the boy, I think his name is Michael, maybe, uh, his point of view. So you're kind of supposed to be questioning what she's thinking at any given point because he can't quite crack her because, you know, he's 15 and she's like 35. Um, so that's part of it. But I just don't think it worked when I'm supposed to feel sad at any point at what's happening to her when she's like creeping on this little boy and at some point she's like yelling at him because he doesn't understand this that or the other and it's like okay he's a 15 year old kid and then she's a Nazi and it's like what am I supposed to feel sad for here because she can't read I don't care um and yeah, by the end of it, I was just basically done. I I think that she mainly won here because she had Harvey behind her. Um, and also, from what I've heard, she basically gave like a campaign for the ages in 2008. Uh, she really, really wanted that win. So yeah, that that's basically it. I there's no, there's nothing really here. And I love Kate Winslet so much, and I wanted this to be my favorite, and it it, it was not. Did you know uh, going into this movie that her character was a Nazi? Did you know the backstory? No, I not at all. I thought that I knew that there was like a court case involved, but I was I figured that that was because she was statutory raping him, but she's like not statutory raping him. And then I was thinking, okay, so then what's the court case about? But I had no idea what at all, like was going to happen with that. And then when I found that out, I was like, okay, now you really want me to hate her. Um, and I didn't see this in 2008. I was 12. So yeah, I didn't see this back then. It, this was the first time I've ever seen it. And yeah, no, no. <sighs> <laughs> Nicole needs a fan. She's going to cool down for that one. Um, <laughs> I, I will say we can thank the reader for doing something for future Oscars. Um, that we have today though because uh, when this movie came out and it got director for Daldry and best picture over the dark knight it caused a lot of shit like uh, i just remember specifically the controversy campaign that had happened from this um so because of the reader getting in over the dark knight it expanded the best picture lineup um brought that back so thank you there but uh yeah uh... I don't feel bad for I don't have any sympathy for Nazis or characters who are Nazis um, or anything like that. So I'm not really connected to this character in any way. 
Uh, sorry you can't read. Not sorry you can't read. I don't even know how to react to it. Um, it's fine. I think uh, Winslet showed up to do her job. Uh, she definitely had the Weinstein's in her back pocket for this one. Um, but this is not a not a great one. It's really not. Um, and she is a supporting actress in a lead role here, or in the lead category. So, I mean, we all know where she's going for me at this point. But um, yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. This is an interesting choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, I, it's funny because I have the reader um, from the library in front of me right now. And on the DVD, it says the year's most provocative thriller. And I can't help but to think that how this movie is so not a thriller. So um, there's that going for it. And to kind of go back to the uh, thing, the question we had about if there's a, an actor with one scene who should have been nominated, Lena Olin definitely deserved a supporting actress nomination for this. Um, I thought to her, she was the best thing about this movie, and it was the most effective thing about this movie. I don't know how you guys feel about Olin in this, but I'm going to stick with that one. I'm always justice for Lena Olin. Uh, that's always my hashtag every episode. Uh, we've been over that. I think she should always have a nomination. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really remember her in this, but maybe that's just because I was like shaking with rage. Um, but uh, I'm imagining that she was in lead because uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona was also a Weinstein thing. And I imagine that he saw it as he could get two wins versus one. Uh, if he just, you know, put those two head to head. Um, so I'm imagining that's what that is. But I think it also kind of uh, fucked over Revolutionary Road because that's where she's giving her better performance by far. And that I think is like BBC Films or something. So that didn't have a shot in hell. Um, but Weinstein's Oscar hungry mentality, you know, it, it definitely, uh, I think, came into play and made the category kind of weird um and there was like that omission plus the category fraud of it well it's funny really quick that you brought up uh revolutionary road because we got 877 questions about kate winslet for this episode so i'm gonna literally narrow it to one which covers all of them <laughs> winslet's revolutionary road or the reader which category which one should she have won for um I don't think she was great in Revolutionary Road. I, the movie, I think, is Michael Shannon's and his alone. I think he makes the biggest impression for me in that film. I wouldn't have nominated her for Revolutionary Road, and I wouldn't have her in lead in The Reader. So there's that. How about you guys? I prefer her in Revolutionary Road. Um, that's another movie I haven't seen since way back when. But I remember preferring her in that one. Um as far as category goes, I'm really on the fence about it. I see why people say supporting, and I would be okay with her in supporting. But in a way, even though this movie is told from the perspective of the boy, it's really about her. It's like her story told through his eyes and narration. So it's a really tricky concept. So I'm not actually mad about the lead placement, but I would also be okay with her in supporting. It's one of those really on the fence ones for me. So I'm not gonna like immediately disqualify her, but I see the argument both ways. Um, I would prefer her to be nominated for Revolutionary Road if for only that movie, I, I just have less problems with that movie. So I'd prefer that one to be uh, the one getting the Oscars recognition. Yeah, I think that just 
the idea of like the suffocation and misery of like trying to perform the American dream sort of ideals in the fifties is a much more interesting concept to watch, but also for Kate Winslet to have something to do with, like it gives her more to bite into than whatever is going on here. Uh, So I would go with that 100%. And she's also giving the better performance there. 100%. Like, could have won off of that, but she didn't have Weinstein, so it was never going to happen. But that's the better one for her. Remember, remember too, she won the Golden Globe for Drama Actress for Revolutionary Road and won the Golden Globe for Supporting in the Reader. So, she, I mean, she really was sweeping up in both categories at, you know, pretty much yeah. these awards this year. Yeah, and from what I heard, she had that, like, campaign that just, like, girl was everywhere in 2008 yeah. like she wanted that win so she was gonna win somewhere yeah all righty moving on we have angelina jolie as christine collins in well i put it down as doubt in uh in changeling this is her second of two nominations and her most recent going to oscar night just nominations from the golden globes the bafta the critics choice and the sag all in lead actress in changeling um again angelina plays christine who's uh, she plays a mother whose son goes missing and the LAPD try to cover it up with giving her a replacement son. Hello, little new son does not work for her. And she kind of goes on a rampage is uh, called crazy and eventually has to seek the truth of what happened to her son and why it is covered up. Um, this is a Clint Eastwood outing. Um, so Nicole start us off on Angelina Jolie. Um, I like it. I like it as a nomination. It The movie itself falls off the rails in the second half. And unfortunately, that kind of uh, affects Angelina Jolie because she mainly just cries a lot in the second half. She doesn't have as much like she gets more to do and more to sort of act with in the first half. Though I will say there needed to be some like, you know, reshoots on some of these shots that are in here because like they wear a lot of hats in this movie and the hats cover up her face where she's like in darkness and I can't see what's going on with her. Um, and I think that that really sort of brings it down a lot because I just can't see what she's doing. And I know that that's sort of like Clint Eastwood's thing is that he doesn't like to shoot things like more than once, but it, it was a disservice to her and her performance. Uh, yeah, she's better in the first half, and it goes downhill a bit from there, as the movie does. And she disappears for long stretches as well, which I don't think sort of benefit her in any way. Um, because when it picks back up again with her, it's kind of like almost almost a shock at some points, because the movie becomes a different thing for a little bit and then it'll go back to like her um i like her in this i think it's a good nomination i just it's it's not it doesn't it doesn't service her properly like there's just a few things here and there that they could have fixed and it could have been a stronger contender for her yeah i agree um I'm glad Angelina Jolie has a second nomination because um, I think she is a much better actor than a lot of people give her credit for. So I'm glad she had a second nomination somewhere. 
Um, I'm not super fond of the film or her performance in it. I think she does a fine job um, here, but like Nicole was saying, um, I think if she had been working with a different director who was more interested in the performances and doing more takes and really working with his actors to dig deeper, um, it would have benefited her in the long run. I think she's um, she's basically directing herself in a lot of ways because that seems to be Clint Eastwood's style. Um, but I think she's doing an okay job with it. Uh, she handles some of the subtlety pretty well. I mean, I think we're used, used to Angelina Jolie being quite large in a lot of her performances and many parts of Changeling require her to be a little bit more reserved. And those are the parts of the film that I find the most fascinating from a performance standpoint. But again, I really wish they had just digged a little deeper and spent more time shooting these scenes and perhaps rehearsing them. I'm not sure if Clint Eastwood's one to rehearse, but I think that would have benefited her performance as well. Um, yeah, you're, he is definitely obscuring people's faces, as is his trademark, like you said, and that is hurting her a little bit here with the hats and the shadows and whatnot. Um, but I'm just going to throw out for a second, honestly, if anyone was going to be recognized for acting for this film, I wish it was Amy Ryan. I really like Amy Ryan in this film, and I would have been very happy if she had gotten a second nomination, because I think she's due for one. Um, I think she's great in this, but uh, Angelina Jolie... Um, She's doing well with what she can. Unfortunately, she's not being supported in the way that I think she needs to. And at the end of the day, this movie and this director are not doing her very many favors. Yeah, I think you guys both summed it up perfectly. I don't know if I can really add anything else because I feel that everything you guys said is correct. Um, I, I, you know, I always say there's not like a moment or something that I would give someone the, the Oscar win for. But I would be pretty bold to say that I'm pretty sure it was the I want my son breakdown scene that secured her this nomination. Um, I feel like if there had been more like that in this film for the type of film it is, she could have been an actual threat to win. You never know. But um, yeah, I just have to echo what you guys said and say that you said it all perfectly, including the Amy Ryan thing. I was actually going to bring that up as well. So um, yeah, I agree. I'm happy that she did this movie, just like Brandon said, though, because... The 2000s for Angelina Jolie were, um, she she kind of didn't do a lot of critical darlings or anything that was sort of, I don't know, an adult Oscar-y drama mainly. She was doing um, things like Mr. and Mrs. Smith and really her life and her narrative and her career basically got taken over by the whole uh, Brad and Angelina of it all and even Jennifer Aniston of it all and that's sad because you watch a performance like this and she's good to where it's like it's sad that she got overshadowed by her relationship and what was going on there and I and I wonder if that kind of impacted her opportunities and what she was able to get as far as you know critical things like critical darlings, like something that, which this isn't a critical darling, but you know what I mean? Like a Oscar-y thing or a more of a serious thing. Uh, and that's really sad. She seems to be kind of trying to turn it around a bit right now, but for the 2000s, it was kind of rough there. And I blame most of that on the Brangelina of it all. 
Yeah, Jolie visits Cleveland a lot. She actually has a friend who lives here. Um, she directed this movie a couple years ago for Netflix. Um, the author of the book, who is her friend, lives here in Cleveland. So I'm just kind of waiting for the day if I ever run into her because I really want to pick her brain about this campaign. I mean, not that I would just go up to be like, hey, let's talk. You know what I mean? But it would be like cool if I ever came up in conversation to be like, how did this campaign really work out for you? Um, but, you know, you never know. You never know. I used to like dream that she would come into my bookstore when I worked in Cleveland because Luong Ung, who wrote First They Killed My Father, the restaurant that she owns is literally next door to the bookstore that I used to work at in Cleveland. So like you were saying, she visits Cleveland at least once a year, it seems, to visit uh, Luong Ung. And I used to like just think about what if she just like walked into the bookstore one day looking for something to read and how, what I would even do. I don't even know what I would do. But yeah, I used to think about that a lot. And the restaurant that he's referring to is called Nam Pen. It's fantastic. If you're ever in Cleveland, you want some really, really good Asian food, that's where it's at. Yes, Cambodian uh, specifically. But I think they do a little bit of Asian fusion type stuff. I wasn't sure in which region. That's why I just went Asian, but I'm glad that you yeah. verified that. Yeah, it's primarily Cambodian. And it's their pad thai is amazing. Um, all right, moving on. We have Anne Hathaway as Kim and Rachel getting married. This is her first of two nominations. Going into this, she wins at Critics' Choice, again, tying with Meryl Streep. Um, she wins the National Board of Review and then is nominated at SAG, the National Society of, or I'm sorry, the New York Film Critics, the Indie Spirits, and the Golden Globe um, for lead uh, drama actress. Um, again, Anne plays Kim and Rachel getting married, who is the sister of the Rosemary DeWitt character, who is the titular role. Uh, she's getting out of rehab for her sister's wedding. And God, anywhere Kim goes, it is a shitstorm of drama. She's a former addict. Um, she has very tumultuous relationship with her whole family. It's just a hot mess, um, no matter what she's doing or where she's going. So Brandon, start us off with Anne Hathaway and Rachel. So I'm a pretty low-key, chill person who kind of stays away from conflict, but I secretly live for all the drama. And therefore, I love this performance and this film. I find this performance so delectable. Um, Anne Hathaway is so fun to watch as Kim and Rachel getting married. Her like self-destruction as the film goes on is so carefully done and so just fascinating from start to finish. The way she and Jonathan Demi pace out this whole thing. And she's just a ball of fire throughout this entire movie. And I, you never know what she's going to do or say next. Her moments of awkwardness are so true to life. Like her weird speech at like the rehearsal dinner where she's just like bombing and no one really knows what to say. Like even as an audience member, it feels so strange and so uncomfortable watching that moment. And that's Anne Hathaway um, fueled by, you know, Jonathan Demi and I believe Jenny Lamette wrote this script and um, she just feels so true to life in a way. It's a very extreme character and a very um, far out performance in a way. And yet something about it feels so grounded. And I really admire how Anne Hathaway was able to take something 
that could read as hyperbolic and make it feel so true to life. I don't know. I think it's it's remarkable what she did. Um, I think that this is a character that you could very easily hate. Um, and the more that you find out about her and what happened and the more you see the drama that goes down, I think that she could very easily be just completely hated. Um, but I never once hated her and I felt sorry for her. And I, I think that she was able to get my sympathy in a way that Kate Winslet couldn't. Um, and obviously very different, but I'm saying, um, she was just, she takes charge of every scene that she's in and she is super compelling at just making you stay on her side when everything else to the contrary would make you sort of not like her or not want to root for her and just kind of say like screw this movie I don't want to watch it anymore but you're with her and you're with her along for the ride and that's just all on her shoulders completely 100% and um, it's why the movie works at the end of the day. Yeah, I have a very special place in my heart for Rachel getting married. Um, I actually credit it to the journey of the Oscars that it brought me to today. Um, I remember I worked at a movie theater here in Cleveland at Crocker Park um, when this movie came out, and I wanted to see it, but I was 16 at the time, and you, I wasn't allowed to see R-rated movies for free I ha- on my own. Like I still had to have an adult with me if I wasn't 17 yet. So, like, I remember, like, I had to sneak into Saw 5 and thought I was going to lose my job for it. So I was like, mm, I'm not going to try that again with this. Um, and so I didn't end up seeing it until the, the following summer when I moved to Seattle. And I went to Blockbuster um, and bought it. Because I remember, like, I'm, I've always been a huge horror fan. But I remember looking at it and go, going, you know what? I'm going to start watching more than horror. And I credit Rachel Getting Married to where I'm at now. Uh, in my Oscar uh, loving self. Um, Anne Hathaway is a revelation here. She is so goddamn awkward. And yes, you could have easily hated this character, but it works for me. Everything she's doing from the chain smoking to the random hookup sex with the best man to fighting with her mom. Like I see that. I've been there. Um, you know, dealing with demons and addiction. I think this character is so you, it's so me, it's so the person eating the bagel walking down the street that we pass in the morning going to work. You know what I mean? Like, this can be anybody. Um, I honestly think for me, this is my favorite Demi movie too. I, I just, I love the feel, like the, like the feel of the movie with the whole shot on camcorder footage style. I like that the movie doesn't have a soundtrack and the only mu- music that's playing is done by the characters. And the performances are wonderful all around. I still can't understand how Deborah Winger did not get a supporting actress nomination for this one. Even Rosemary DeWitt, I would have been happy with that, even though I'm probably team Winger on that, on between those two. Um, this is just wonderful. And I wish we got more films like this. It's very, it's very hard for a film like this to get recognized at the Academy. And I think it was rightfully earned. I miss Jonathan Demi so much. So much. I'm not one to get like emotional when like celebrities die. But for some reason, when Jonathan Demi passed, that really hit me. 
because he's one of my favorite filmmakers. And I think Rachel Getting Married is a really great example of how amazing he was. Um, I'm sure a lot of what makes Anne Hathaway's character work comes from Demi's work behind the camera and the way his style is able to match her performance and elevate it. Um, as well as the supporting cast. Like I love Rosemary DeWitt and Deborah Winger. I think I, I think I agree with you. I think Deborah Winger is the one I lean a little bit more toward when it comes to the supporting women. But I also think that Bill Irwin is this film's unsung hero as Kim and Rachel's father. I think he gives a very subtle, true to life performance as a father who finds himself in a very tricky situation frequently when it comes to the conflicts of his daughters. And his moment of, I don't know, um, near breakdown with the plate in the kitchen when they're doing the, the dishwasher game, mm-hmm. I, I find that so moving whenever I watch this movie. I don't know why. Um, so I think Bill Irwin also deserved more recognition than he got. I don't even know if he received anything for this. But um, all around, I think this is a fantastic film, and Anne Hathaway is definitely a huge reason for that. Um, all right, finally, we have Melissa Leo as Ray Eddy in Frozen River. This is her first of two nominations. Um, going into Oscar night, she has a win from the Independent Spirit Awards and then nominations at the Critics' Choice, Los Angeles Film Critics, National Society Film Critics, and the SAG Awards. Um, in Frozen River, again, Melissa plays Ray, who is a newly single mother to two children um, who works at a dollar store and completely has to figure out how she's going to survive after her husband abandons her and her family. And she figures out that the best way to do that is to join up with a local Native American woman, uh, my late dear friend, Misty Uppen, who uh, helps her smuggle in people over the border. Uh, So, Nicole, what do you think about Melissa Leo in Frozen River? So I've seen some people uh, not like this performance and they're wrong. Uh, it is <laughs> so, yeah, they're wrong. Um, it is such a subtle, um, understated performance that usually doesn't even get, you know, performances like that don't even usually get nominated by the Academy. Uh, so I can understand why she didn't win, but she's great here. I love the just, relationship and dynamic between her and Misty Upham and the journey that that goes on it is so well written and it is so interesting and complicated and in a way that in uh Vicky Christina Barcelona it really upset me the way that it was like this isn't real this isn't how women talk this isn't how you know we like just the writing of the female characters really upset me. Whereas here I found them intriguing and complex and there was just so much there that was just interesting the entire way through. And I love her in this and I love Misty Epham in this. And really Misty Epham should have gotten a best supporting actress nomination for this. Cause she is great. Loved it. Um, loved it. Yeah, Nicole's right. Um, Everyone else is wrong. Uh, Melissa Leo's fantastic. Um, If I remember correctly, on the night back at back at Oscar night, she was my winner for uh, Frozen River at the time. Um, I think she's wonderful in the film. Um, It is a very 
subtle, true to life performance. And I guess like um, Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler, I feel like her character, M Melissa Leo's in Frozen River, feels like the most real. I know the stakes and the situation in this film is really high, something that very few people have any experience with. But um, Ray feels like the most true person of these five to me anyway. And I think that says something. Um, Melissa Leo gives a very um, three-dimensional, kind of gritty, dirty performance in a way that feels very authentic. Um, like we just praised Jonathan Demme earlier, um, justice for Courtney Hunt, who directed this movie and has only directed mm -hmm. one feature film since, which I find to be a crime. Um, it's outrageous that she does not have several films under her belt by now. And if she was a man, she absolutely would after directing Frozen River. Um, just wanted to throw that out there uh, because she deserves just as much recognition for uh, successfully pulling off this film as Melissa Leo does for selling it. Um, Melissa Leo is great. And um, I think she deserves to be uh, featured way more than she is. I think she's more than just um, a character actress that Hollywood can squeeze into little tiny roles here and there. I think she, she is a leading actress, even if she doesn't look like it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I also agree. People who think that this is a bad performance are just plain wrong. Um, there is no way that I can ever fathom seeing this character and seeing this performance and going, you know what? Nah. Like, <laughs> get fucked. Um, <laughs> with that said, I, it is beautiful because here it is again. Here's this everyday person. Here's this real struggle that people deal with. Um, and yeah, Brandon said it's gritty and it, he's very right. You know, there is not a moment where Melissa Leo is quote unquote afraid of playing ugly. Um, and I think that really shines through, you know, um, this is the first time that I get to talk about Missy. Also, uh, we'll get to talk about her again with August Osage County next season, which is, um, I met Missy right as she finished shooting August Osage County. So, um, you know, there was that question earlier about who would come up second uh, if it would be Meryl because she won the SAG Awards. Uh, according to Misty, Sony Pictures Classics actually really um, thought that Melissa Leo could win this. And they put so much money into her campaign. The only reason her campaign isn't really remembered is because of how massive that Kate Winslet really tried to get this win. Um, but Melissa Leo was right behind her. Uh, of course, everyone um, says Melissa Leo took uh, Sally Hawkins or Kristen Scott Thomas's um, spot. I don't believe that's really true, um, but that's just me. Uh, but yeah, Wrong Sony opinion again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sony Pictures Classics put a lot of money behind this. Um, they did not support Misty in getting a nomination even though she got the Spirit Award nomination. Um, it, she didn't really have anyone in her corner. And this is just me going off of what Misty had told me, as great as Melissa Leo is as a person. I guess she really didn't fight for Misty to be noticed as well, because she made it all about her. Um, so whether that's true or not, you know, Misty isn't here today to be able to talk about it. And I'm just going off of, I guess, hearsay. 
but it is just one of the things that I remember her telling me about Melissa Leo, as great as she is, again, as a person. Um, also, too, there is a point in this movie that really gets me to where Melissa Leo is able to just get past um, the Border Patrol, and Missy's character mentions it's because you're white. Um, even with Native Americans, uh, like other people of color, they're still just treated as this, they're up to no good stereotype. And I think that's awful. And I'm really glad that that was kept in the film because according to Missy, it was not supposed to be kept in the film at all. Um, so, you know, it's, it's important that these stories are told and everyone gets the chance to tell that story. So there's that. (laughs) Preach. Yeah, what what you were saying about um, just because it's just because you're um, uh, you're white when uh, she gets pulled over, basically she, that comes up a few times in this movie, and it's it adds to the nuance and complexity of their relationship, and uh, it's really sad that uh, what you said about Melissa Leo, if that's true, not uh, fighting for her because that's part of. I wouldn't say a message, but like something that goes on in this movie and she stands up for her at the very end and because she's the white one. And so, yeah, the fact that she didn't stand up for a person of color, if that's true, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of makes me think, though, it is with the way that Melissa Leo campaigned then for um, the fighter. the I almost said the wrestler, but yeah, the fighter. When she took out her own ads and then how aggressive she was with campaigning for... Um, that Noviet or Novishit movie, whatever it was called, a couple years ago, and that yeah. movie that she, that she did with um Jake Gyllenhaal, she campaigned really, really hard for. So, uh, when you're thirsty for the award, it seems that she'll do anything for it. But I, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything negative to say about Leo. I'm just again going off of stories yeah. that I was told from Misty herself. Yeah, it seems like when it comes to award season games, Melissa Leo is frequently out for blood. Um, yeah. And I uh, can't blame her. I'm not going to, like, judge her for that because, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the awards are not a meritocracy. I mean, anyone who thinks it is is delusional. It's all about politics. And so Melissa Leo is just, you know, playing the game. And in a way, I admire it. In a way, I find it silly. Um, but performance-wise, uh, in Frozen River... I think she's fantastic and definitely worthy of um, the recognition that she got, whether it was due to her aggressive campaigning for it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And fun fact about the Oscars. So Misty was at the awards that year. Um, Do you know the nominees have trading cards of themselves? (laughs) No. Like, like baseball cards. Yeah. If you're nominated and you go to the, or, or I'm sorry, when every year the Oscars come out, and you go to the Oscars in the gift bags you get are trading cards of the nominees with like their photo, their name, and fun facts about them in the movie. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, someone, so somewhere out there, we have Anne Hathaway and Melissa Leo trading cards. <laughs> so, um, before we get to the rankings, there is actually a really cool question that we got from one of our favorite Germans, uh, Fritz and the Oscars. How did you like the presentation of the nominees and what former Best Actress winner would you like to praise you at the Oscars? Um, I love the way that they did the presentation this year. 
Oscar. I wish we would get uh, former winners coming back to give away the awards. I get very bored with the same presenters. I feel like every year, like this is no shade, but I really can't stand when Nicole Kidman's there. It seems every year giving away something like, let me see someone new. Um, so I really, really like that. And to be honest with you, I think I would want Glenda Jackson to do mine because if there's anyone who's going to put me in my place and call me out on my BS in the most fun Glenda Jackson-y way, it'll be her. I liked how they did the presentation that year. I know it was pretty different and maybe it ate up a lot of time and I'm sure it was probably a, a scheduling nightmare for someone, but I thought it was pretty um, fun as a viewer. It really changed things up a bit uh, from the normal format um for some reason the first person i thought of for me was sissy spacek and i'm not sure why but that's who i thought of so i'm just gonna go with it in this moment uh yeah i don't remember the presentation at all because like i said i was 12 um i wasn't exactly watching this um but as far as someone to present for me i was gonna say sissy spacek so i'll go with jessica lang all right no um, actually, I forgot that we had one more question. This one was actually a really fun one from Nick Soprano or uh, Cipriano. Out of all the nominated performance of this year, which one do you think Karen Black would have nailed? Um, I would say all of them, but clearly she cannot play all of them. So I think Karen would have made a really, really good Ray in Frozen Heart. Or I know I, I'm kind of backtracking against what I said against Meryl, but I would have loved to see a Sister Aloysius version done by Karen Black. Ray was my first uh, pick when it comes to the leads. I could definitely see Karen Black um, making Frozen River a total vehicle for her. Uh, when it comes to the supporting, I'd be very interested to see what she would have done with Cassidy from The Wrestler back in her uh, Five Easy Pieces days. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with Karen Black, but I know this audience, so all Get out. <laughs> All of them. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, Brandon, take us away for some rankings. All right. So to refresh your memories, uh, the supporting actress nominees were Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Amy Adams for Doubt, Viola Davis for Doubt, Taraji P. Henson for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and Marissa Tomei for The Wrestler. My number five is actually going to Taraji P. Henson for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Love Taraji to death. Uh, She deserves so much more than the industry has given her. But there's something about Queenie that I don't find quite as fascinating as the other characters. She breathes a lot of life into the character and uh, it leaves an impression on you um, when the movie's over. But um, the other ones I just find a little more fascinating from like a as a writing perspective so uh nicole who's your number five uh so first of all that shocked me i really thought that was that gonna be your winner shocked me as well, <laughs> i know actually. in the beginning or in the beginning of the episode when you said henson i went like "Ooh, bitch because <laughs> i already <laughs> had my list made up um okay so my number five is uh davis uh yeah it's the same chick which i mean it might have played differently in 2008 just like how in 2011 I was completely in love with her and the help. But, you know, I don't know if now I would think the same. I thought she should have won that year. But, you know, wondering how that plays now, just looking back. Um, but for doubt, it's 
two scenes and it's not best of the best and it's the whole snot thing i can't i can't it's it's five like 100 (laughs) percent well we're all starting off on a very different foot because amy adams is my number five um i think this is a really weak performance by her it's like i corrected myself earlier it's not her worst but i would say it's her second worst um, I just feel like this was a wasted opportunity that could have been given to an actress who really could have sank her teeth into it. I don't think Adams did that for her. So for that, I'm giving her my fifth spot for Doubt. Amy Adams gets my number four for Doubt. I don't hate this performance in the way that a lot of people do. Um, it kind of works for me in a weird way, considering uh, what she's acting within and how it um adds to the film but um it's not my favorite adam's performance uh so she's getting my number four spot for doubt uh my number four is penelope cruz and um i really like her in this i think she's great and man at uh like five in the morning when she finally showed up on my uh screen when i was watching vicky christina barcelona (laughs) i was so thankful when she got there and i was like rooting the entire way through for um her and i loved her but uh it's just she's not given as much to do and she doesn't show up until the very end uh and some of these other performances just kind of grab me a little bit more well i am actually going uh viola davis for my number four um i i I really just can't echo Nicole's sentiments more and as we go to talk about our other two nominations just seriously guys keep in mind this is the first stop on the snot booger express um it's gonna happen more and we'll talk about it when we get there uh viola davis is actually my number three for doubt um she leaves a bigger impression on me um than i suppose with you two in the film um i think she does do quite a bit with the two scenes that she's given and the concepts that her character is grappling with and willing to accept for what she considers the greater good, I find super compelling and so troubling all at the same time. Um, But um, she only makes my number three in this lineup uh, for doubt. Uh, My number three, I could have easily switched with number two. I kind of went back and forth on it. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Amy Adams for my number three. Um, I like her in this. I like the kind of meek, mousy thing that she's doing. And I think it is a great sort of, you know, juxtaposition to what Meryl Streep is doing. And it works in context in the film. Um, It's just a little bit. There's a few others that just kind of grab me more. So she's just kind of middle of the pack for me. Um, my number three, I'm giving to this year's winner, Miss Penelope Cruz. Um, for those of you who ple- who just heard Penelope, you heard that correct, please add us if you know what movie I'm talking about when I say that. And I, hope I think I co-host. do. I, what, what movie? What movie? What movie? Is it Club Dread? Yeah. Or no, the other Club one. No, is it Club Dread? It is, yes. I couldn't remember if it was Club Dread or Beer Fest, which one of those two movies it was. Dread. Penelope, my love for you, Miss Penelope. Um, so yeah, to this day, I can't see Penelope and not say Penelope. Um, so yeah, so Penelope Cruz is my number three. Uh, I think it, she's doing good here. Um, I enjoyed this a lot more for being an Allen performance than normal, 
But um, yeah, my final two just are blowing me away while she's not as much. So my final two are Penelope Cruz and uh, Marissa Tomei. Um, I could see myself giving this award to either of them um, at, on any given day. But right now, I'm giving the runner-up spot to Penelope Cruz for Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and I'm giving it to uh, Marissa Tomei um, as my winner. Uh, Penelope Cruz is by far the best thing about that very mediocre Woody Allen film. When she finally comes into the movie, the movie finally gets interesting. And she is the fire that the story needs. And I love her character so much that I just want her to go off and do her own thing in a movie written by someone that's not Woody Allen. And she's fantastic and I don't knock this win whatsoever. But Marissa Tomei in The Wrestler is just amazing. Uh, There's something so naturalistic and real about this character. Um, It feels so true to life to me. And her final scene where she walks away from Randy the Ram at the end when he when his hubris overtakes him and he is drawn to the cheers of the crowds despite the fact that he's probably going to die in the ring and she accepts that he has accepted this and she turns her back and leaves is so striking to me and it's a perfect punctuation mark for this character and Marissa Tomei, I think, deserved it for The Wrestler. Uh, so my number two and number one, I have uh, Taraji P. Henson left and uh, Marissa Tomei. Uh, so my number two is Henson, and I'm giving the win to uh, Marissa Tomei. Uh, Taraji is, is wonderful in this, and I wanted even more of her, uh, even though I don't really know how that would have, you know, been like in the movie I just you know was so interested in her and what she was doing and she deserves all the roles in the world and um I love her and I love her in this and yeah she's my number two but uh Marissa Tomei and the wrestler is just marvelous it is a magnetic performance you were so just drawn to her and everything that she's doing and she is just everything that she has with Mickey Rourke is perfect and it's just the best part of a really good movie and I can't say enough good things about how wonderful she is in this she 100% deserves the win um I also have Henson and Tomei left and while we started off very much disagreeing in this category we are definitely agreeing on our winners um Henson is my runner-up while Tomei is my winner uh, which, yes, I do believe, and Nicole, this will be a spoiler for you, but I do believe Tomei should have three Oscars under her belt. Um, <laughs> color anyone shocked. <laughs> so, uh, starting with Henson, I think, again, uh, Goldie Hawn put it perfect at the ceremony. When uh, Benjamin Button goes back to or back home, we realize, as the audience, we've missed Henson just as much. And this is one of those movies that actually, when a character died, in this case, Henson, I actually felt it. Like, I really, I realized that I would miss this character of Queenie. Um, and her presence it was definitely missed in the rest of the film. Tomei, though, holy shit. For, for years, I never understood why uh, Evan Rachel Wood wasn't nominated. You know, she her, her role in this is very showy. And I, I could totally still see her as a nominee for The Wrestler. 
But Tomei is subdued. She's very, um, she's very powerful in everything she's doing here, from denying Randy the Ram any type of affection to helping him trying to rekindle her, you know, the relationship with his daughter to realizing she's actually in love with him. Um, you know, there's this sad realization to her character that um, it's too late for her and this possible love at the end. And did it come true? We never really know. Um, but I think what Tomei is doing is brilliant. So yes, all three of us, Marissa Tomei, and I like the sound of that. Do you find that um, Cassidy uh, fears that what he is going through, she is about to go through? Does that make In sense? sense? Like he's going through this sense of being past his prime. Right. And he's mm-hmm. struggling to stay uh, great and stay relevant. And she is, to put it simply, uh, a, a stripper in her 40s. And how much longer can she continue that and continue to make money? You know, I mean, there's that scene in the very beginning where the, the young guys in their 20s are basically mocking her. And so I wonder if part of her attraction to him is because she finds that she is entering, she's not there yet, but she is approaching a similar existential issue in her life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm actually, I want to, I want to add a little something to that and actually get Nicole's opinion on it being that Nicole is the female in the room with us right now. Um, Men don't seem to have an expiration date for things. Or if they do, it's not till way later. I mean, Mm. the perfect example is the industry we're talking about. Look how many white, older men are still working. And women of all sizes, ages, colors have a very hard time getting good work. Um, I mean, Nicole, that's I feel because this is your corner of things. That's got to feel really fucking agitating for almost every aspect of life. I mean, what are your thoughts with this? Uh, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, but, um, I think when thinking about Hollywood and stuff, I think that there's good examples of that. And I think that you could think of like, um, I think that there's sort of a, a, a peak where you're obviously, you know, you're, you're most wanted. And then there's kind of a lull in the middle where uh it's kind of like eh, we don't really know what to do with you because you're not really young enough to be you know the hot thing but you're also not like old enough to be like a grandma-y kind of role and actors kind of get stuck in the middle there um where think about i don't know like laura dern which i know that she had like stuff where she was blacklisted from like ellen and stuff but she kind of had like that lull and then she kind of got on the other side and now she's everything um, and I find that that's sort of true with um, life in general. And what I've noticed is that there's kind of that peak and then you kind of hit that middle. And then it's kind of just like after that, once you've kind of like accepted it and you've kind of come to terms with it and you can kind of appreciate it <laughs> or the good parts of it anyway, it's easier from what I've noticed anyway from the women in my life. Yeah, that's uh that's a very good take on that. And then also Brandon for that like question. Cause now it's got me rethinking the whole movie and I like want to go back and rewatch it. So kudos on that question. Yeah. I just watched it this morning and for some reason that was like hitting me. I was like, 
her life is about to parallel his life. And I think she, over the course of the films, begins to realize that. And I think that might be part of what draws them together. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just a weird thought that I have that I haven't fully fleshed out yet. So I just wanted everyone, I wanted y'all's opinions. I also want to point out, I think it's really interesting how Henson went from your winner the night of the Academy and now she's in your fifth spot. Like, she hella dropped. I think it was Davis. Oh, didn't you say Henson was your winner the night of because of Benjamin Button? Benjamin Button was my Best Picture winner. But I think Davis was my winner for Supporting Actress. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Alrighty, well, moving on to leads. Uh, As a recap, we have Meryl Streep in Doubt, Kate Winslet in The Reader, Melissa Leo in Frozen River, uh, Angelina Jolie in Changeling, and Anne Hathaway in Rachel Getting Married. Um, Number five, Kate Winslet. Wrong category for me. Um, And also, too, just let's, let's say she isn't in the wrong category. Here, or category five here, I still would rank her five out of these nominees. I just think that she is the weakest in a very heavy hitter year. So, yeah, I would say Winslet at five. Nicole? Um, yeah, as much as I hate to do it because I love Kate Winslet so much and like she was like my favorite actress when I was little because Titanic like got me into Oscar movies and stuff. Uh, but I ha- I have to do it. I have to put her five. She's just, this isn't it. That's not it. This is, it's a bad movie. It's not a good performance. There's no sympathy there whatsoever. And I feel like in a di- different actress's hands, I might have had sympathy for this character, even though, you know, the reason why I would have sympathy for her is like stupid. Like, I don't care that you can't read. Um, but just emotionally, I didn't feel anything um for this so she's five kate winslet's also my number five um i'm on the fence with category but regardless of category she would still be number five because i find this movie so troubling and i don't find her performance all that interesting so um yeah kate winslet at number five for the reader um, yeah, let's see if we uh, continue our streak of agreeing with each other. Um, Angelina Jolie is my number four. While I do appreciate the fact that um, Jolie has a second nomination, and I do think it's the scene of uh, I want my son back, um, as a whole, I think Nicole hit it on the head with she really kind of fades away in that third act. Um, and yeah, while good in here, she's not the worst in the lineup, but the final three are just way too strong. So Jolie is number four. Nicole? Yeah, Jolie is also my number four. Um, She is trying really hard here. And um, I I like it as a nomination. It's just, it's just the other three are just so great and they are so strong and she's not being serviced well at all. And then there's problems with she's falling like out of the movie and it's just the other three are just so miles ahead like miles that it's it's hard to rank her any higher than that so yeah Jolie is my number four well Angelina Jolie is my number four for Changeling um she is kind of stranded on an island here um with this movie because uh like we've said a few times already it's not doing her a whole lot of favors her director does not seem all that interested in helping her uh, bring out this performance or uh, servicing her from 
a filmmaking perspective. And unfortunately, that's um, really unfortunate for her because Angelina Jolie deserves better. Glad she's got a second nomination, but unfortunately, um, it's only going to crack my number four here for Changeling. Holy shit. These final three are impossible to rank. I almost want to just be like, you know what? I'm going to pull a tie and do all three, but I have never reached the actual tipping point of doing a three-way tie yet. So I'm not going to start now. Um, I got to say number three is going to go to Meryl Streep. Um, I honestly don't even know what to say other than how perfect she is in this role. Um, and this is one of those, this is one of those things where I'm not ranking at this point, like worst to best. It's just how the hell do I do it and how the hell do I do it? But, uh, other than I have to put Streep in third. Um, yeah, she's really, really good. And I would have loved to see her win for this, but yeah, she's three for me. Nicole, how about you? Yeah, uh, the top three here are really hard to rank, and I've played with different combinations of how I would do it and trying to sort of parse them out and separate it, and it's almost impossible, and I feel like I could come back to this and be really upset with myself and change my mind, but here goes. Uh, Number three for me is Anne Hathaway. Um, I think she's great in this. You, She really just pulls you along and tugs at the heartstrings and... I never once feel anger towards someone that I very easily could have. And that is due to how wonderful of an actress Anne Hathaway is and how just she is nailing this part 100%. Um, she's great in this. It's just, it's, it's just so hard to uh, decide between the top three. And so for me, if I'm going with my heart and what's telling me, I have to go and Hathaway three. Uh, Meryl Streep is my number three for Doubt. Um, I love Meryl in Doubt. I also just love Doubt. I find her performance so fun to watch. Um, the way she pulls all these strings, like the the puppeteer of this entire school and all the goings-ons and this investigation that she has taken on. And it's such a delicious performance in a lot of ways but um to echo nicole this top three is really strong and i could honestly see any one of these top three being my winner on any given day but today meryl is only number three for doubt all right here we go um i have leo and hathaway left um this has been really really hard um nicole you were absolutely right with me on tomei on the first part you were (laughs) wrong with me on the second part damn it um because hathaway and leo are actually tying um there there was no way that i could choose between these two even as an academy voter i don't know how i would have been able to do this um hathaway is unbelievable in rachel getting married it's by far hathaway's best performance that she's ever given us um, and I want more of this from her. And um, Leo is phenomenal. I mean, I don't think I have enough adjectives or that can come to mind right now to even describe my feelings towards Leo. Um, here are two indie performances in two indie films that this doesn't get recognition from the Oscars like it should. Now it really is all about how big your campaign is. 
Um, but if we're talking just performances, Hathaway, Leo, tied for me. There is those are my winners. So um, I refuse to do a tie. Like I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I made myself not do it. Um, so for me, uh, number two is going to go to Melissa Leo, and then my winner is Meryl Streep. Um, I think that Melissa Leo is just wonderful here. I was completely blown away by everything that she did, and I was completely just drawn in 100% by her, and I loved it. Just Meryl, though, was on another level for me, and I think it's one of the best Meryl performances ever. Um, it's every line delivery, it's every just facial expression, it's the journey that you go on with her, it's the fact that, you know, by the end you're questioning yourself and you're questioning why you believed in her so much and why you loved her, you know, so much and why at the beginning you hated her and just, it's, it's a really complicated thing that I think that she's doing there and I am in awe. And so, yeah. She's my winner. So I have Melissa Leo for Frozen River Left and um, Anne Hathaway for Rachel Getting Married. Uh, Melissa Leo is my runner-up for Frozen River. Uh, She's great in Frozen River. Um, Melissa Leo is one of those actors who I think has been done pretty dirty uh, by Hollywood. Um, Probably one of those women who they don't know what to do with um, because I think she's great. Anne Hathaway, though, and Rachel Getting Married is such a roller coaster. Uh, that film is servicing her so well as a performer. Jonathan Demi is definitely elevating her um, in a way that, say, Clint Eastwood was not doing for Angelina Jolie. Um, Anne Hathaway on her own is marvelous and Rachel Getting Married. It's such a magnetic performance that completely uh, pulls you along from start to finish. It is definitely... Anne Hathaway's film and she owns it and I think she um, deserved the Oscar in 2008 for Rachel getting married so as a recap I gave Marissa Tomei the supporting Oscar and Anne Hathaway and Melissa Leo the lead actress Oscars I gave uh, Marissa Tomei the supporting actress Oscar and I gave Meryl Streep the um, lead actress Oscar and I also gave Marissa Tomei the Supporting Actress Oscar for The Wrestler and Anne Hathaway for Rachel Getting Married. So I called Nicole, two out of four. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> Not uh, my best. It's okay. I mean, it was still, ties especially can be a little hard. That's why, you, you, you know, this season I've got a, I've got a plan for the children who listen um, on if there's going to be a tie or not for the guessing. So, um we heard how Nicole thought we were going into this. Brandon, were you shocked at all by my winners? Um, I had a feeling Melissa Leo was your winner. Um, I didn't foresee a tie, but I had a feeling that one way or another, Melissa Leo was winning an Oscar for Frozen River. Um, I wasn't sure about Marissa Tomei. I knew you had already rewarded her for it, so I wasn't sure if you would veer away. I thought if you did, it would probably be toward Henson. Or maybe Cruz. I know you're not a big Woody Allen person, but for some reason I thought Penelope Cruz just might be the exception. Uh, so that's kind of where I was thinking. I want to really quick to rebuild supporting actress for a second. 
Um, but really quick comment, Nicole, I did not see Street coming for you. I definitely thought you were going Melissa Leo after we talked about it. Um, I wasn't sure where you would be at with supporting. So Tomei was a nice surprise for sure. Oh, also just saying, um, if we like redid lead and Kate Winslet was in for, um, revolutionary road instead, she'd be my winner, but just Mm. saying, there you go. Um, supporting actress. Could you picture this lineup? How amazingly powerful this would have been had it been Rosemary DeWitt, Deborah Winger, Misty Upham, um, Taraji P. Henson, and Lena Olin for the reader. Like, holy hell. No? But that's okay. like leaving out Marissa. Did you, didn't, isn't that leaving out Tomei? Did you I say know. Tomei? No, I did not say Tomei. So you would put in your second choice, but not your first? <laughs> I, had, I had to sacrifice the brilliance of Tomei in order to get both Rachel getting married ladies in. I'm sorry, okay? But then you sacrificed Lena Olin, because I don't remember that. So that's who you sacrificed. Don't don't sacrifice the winner here. <sighs> Listen, Rachel Tomei, as of now, is the highest amount of Oscars I've given someone. So, actually, no. It's someone else that, that she tied with, but I can't say who, because you haven't heard it yet, and I've already spoiled it. Something for you. Um, but no, listen, I, I know it doesn't make sense. Just go with it. <laughs> Nicole, did you have fun? Yes, I did. I want to win again because I want to do 2016. Well, the nice thing about <laughs> this is that now that you've been on the show, you have an open invite to come back. Um, and we have the Patreon, so there's more opportunities for other episodes as well. Um, so whether you win or not again, you're, you're welcome back to come. Brandon, anything else? Uh, I guess I'll just uh, re- uh, remind people of what you said about the Patreon. So if people want to support the Patreon and um, get all that bonus content and our regular episodes one day early, they can uh, go over to uh, patreon.com slash academyqueens and join our queendom. And um, I think that's about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Nicole, where can people find you on the social medias? Um, I'm on Twitter. It's like a, it's like Sansa Starks. I was into Game of Thrones at one point, but with two S's at the end, you'll know. They'll like tag it on Twitter and stuff, so you'll know where to find me. But Twitter mainly. So there. <laughs> she said, "And all the find me." <laughs> and in all the comments of the FYC posts. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, on the count of three, we're going to give a big farewell to 2008 and our listeners. And we'll see you guys next week for the class of 2009, our season four finale. All right, guys. Ready? One, two, three. Bye. Bye. Bye.